You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 95 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchot, and this is the show for July 2021. I am joined today by an absolutely fabulous panel. Um, geographically closest to me, we have both Nick and Simon from Essential Apple with us. Hi, folks. Hi, Bart. <laughs> Hello, Bart. That's the problem. We're both waiting for one another. You don't know who to go first. <laughs> yeah, my bad. Uh, do you think I'd learn after all these years of podcasting? Um, but anyway, also joining us from a little bit further afield, um, only one ocean away, but it's a slightly larger one than the Irish Sea. We're also joined by Chuck Joyner from Mac Voices. Hi, Chuck. How are you, Bart? Yeah, it is just a little bit farther than the other two. Yeah, just a smidge there. I think the waves might be a bit choppier as well. Well, we have, despite it being the summer, we have a month's worth of quite a bit to talk about really so let us get stuck in with some follow-ups on long-running stories we have been tracking for the last while unfortunately it is with great sadness that i announced the return of the covid update um a little bit of good news the apple watch and other wearables may be able to help uh, detect the effects of long covid which is interesting research that's evolving uh, but unfortunately, masks are once again required in the majority of U.S. Apple stores. Apple have uh, apparently postponed their return to the office, which was kind of controversial, actually. And Apple employees are apparently being asked their vaccination status, which is controversial um, and definitely an issue in certain European countries if they were to try to do that here. Meanwhile, the NHS have brought their COVID pass to the Apple wallet. Um, as have the Australians. So that is, you know, they both have official uh, Apple API app, Apple slash Google API apps, and they now have integration with Apple Wallet for their vaccine passes, which is quite convenient. Anything else anyone okay. wants to say about our viral friend? Not really. Boo hiss, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just not. It's just not over. Please be careful out there. Yeah, yeah. I went to a wedding on I went to a wedding on Saturday and um, it was my nephew's wedding, which we postponed about. Well, three, it was the third time of asking, as it were, because oh, it got delayed. Uh, and it was very weird being amongst about a hundred people, no one wearing masks. But it, yeah, oh my God. yeah, I got used to got used to it after a while. <laughs> Yeah, I'm well, just keeping my fingers crossed now. <laughs> we had about a two-week gap between me being fully vaccinated and Delta wreaking <clears throat> havoc here. And in that time, I managed to have my parents over for dinner in the house without which I, you know, I wouldn't have bought this house without their help. So it was great to be able to finally yeah. have them over. And as I say, you know, within about two weeks of becoming fully vaccinated, Delta went nuts here and we started having breakthrough infections and all that fun stuff so it was a, it was a brief window mm. of like oh we can have people oh no we can't oh well <laughs> yeah anyway. as chuck says let's just be careful out there <laughs> yes 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 um the other long-running story of the year is app tracking transparency and we're we really are just watching the dust settle at the moment um 
So a couple of stories in that regard. First off, there were some Chinese apps were trying to work around app tracking transparency. It should come as a surprise to no one that Apple put their foot down and just blocked those apps from doing that. Um, Apparently, according to the advertising industry, ATT is driving advertisers to Android. No loss. Bye. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) See you. Apparently, ad revenue is decreasing by as much as 20%. Advertiser, advertisers are apparently panicking as 75% of iOS users refuse to be tracked. Meanwhile, Twitter have said that the impact of iOS 14 tracking changes were lower than expected in their earnings call. And Facebook just posted their earnings call. And despite decrying the fact that the sky was falling, the sky was falling, auga, auga, turns out not so much. Their earnings are fine too, and their ad revenue is just fine as well. So... Interesting to see that it turns out that this whole false dichotomy of either we can spy on everyone or the internet can exist, maybe not so much. Any, yeah. any thoughts from anyone else? Or? <laughs> um, Are we all ATT well, out? Well, I think um, the only thing I've got to say about that is, you know, Apple's ad revenues are down 20%, but 20% of not very much is probably insignificant. Because you know, I can't say I see millions of ads on on Apple, you know, in anywhere. Um, and Facebook, if everybody's fleeing to Facebook instead, then Facebook's ad revenue has probably been made up by the influx of new advertisers. Apparently, That's not necessarily true, though, because there's only so many eyeballs you can put ads in front of. So if you have too many people looking for the same eyeballs, what'll happen is the price will get depressed. I think it's a, a a lot of noise about nothing, really. Um, yeah, it, the, the the ad agencies will find some other way. Well, they already know <laughs> because how, that's right? what they do. But yeah. we, look, I, I've said this all along. Up until the internet was invented, we've had advertising. It's not as if the internet invented advertising. And advertising before tracking was based on the concept that you put the ad to match the content. Not to match the viewer, to match the content. So you you put ads in television programs based on the television program. You put ads on the radio based on the radio program. You put ads on billboards based on where the billboard is. Well, you can put ads on the internet based on the website the ad appear on. That's, in fact, how Google started. So the worst case scenario here is that we go back to ads on the internet being just like ads everywhere else. And strangely enough, that worked absolutely fine. Well, Art, I'm kind of on the soapbox with you because I, I think it's fascinating that these the the marketing people and and I've I've got friends that are marketing people, but there's this attitude that it is our right to track you, you know, every, morning, noon, and night, everything you do, everything you see or say, becomes fodder for our database. And yeah. to your point, you know this. It was – you can argue that it was less efficient before because you were having to send, let's just say, 10,000 posts to get – you know, hit the hit the two people that, you know, might want to see them as opposed to saying, hey, you could target those four guys on this podcast and, you know, they're all going to be interested in this product. But that doesn't give them the right – and and that's, that's yeah. the part that – bothers me you know i i get why they how it evolved and almost why and that almost makes sense but the entitlement that you you have the right to know everything about me uh uh-uh. yeah and it, it evolved by pure and utter accident right 
cookies were invented for a completely different purpose. If someone noticed you could abuse them mm. to spy on people without their permission, the ad industry grew up abusing this privilege um, and doing something utterly immoral. And now, they've been, now that people are actually being asked for their informed consent, all of a sudden this is a crisis. It's like, well, if your business model, if your business model wasn't based on deception and lies, you wouldn't have this problem. You know, I'll find the world's smallest violin and play it for you. Exactly. If you, yeah. if you take it outside of the internet, it just sounds absolutely bizarre. <laughs> I mean, if someone walked up to you into the street and said, um, if you don't mind, while you're out, I'm going to follow you and watch what you do. With a clipboard. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Who is going to say, yeah, that's perfectly okay? <laughs> yeah, by all means, follow me about, yeah. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, well, it's, yeah. Which is exactly what Apple kind of put in their ad, wasn't it? The guy going out and then the barista follows him and then the yes. woman yeah. from the farm said everybody's following him around, writing down what he does and what he, where he goes and what he buys, um, which was just well, putting but, it in context. But Bart, you used an interesting word there, abuse. Hmm. You know, that's I, 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 you know, we could say that about about the little home surveillance cameras, and about you know probably just about any other any of the other technologies we we enjoy, that they can be used properly or they can be abused, and hmm. the 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 advertising industry seems to have taken that. Again, I keep I keep coming back to that word as an entitlement. It's it goes beyond abuse because they start to believe their own propaganda, that hmm. oh yeah this is okay this is our right. And no, I, 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 I struggle with that a lot. Every time it comes up, I struggle with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think yeah, we're all singing off the same hymn sheet and some of us are singing quite loudly. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other ongoing story of the year is regulation, regulation, regulation. Um, so starting in the United States, uh, President Biden has signed a new anti-competitive executive order. It's probably not the world's biggest thing for Apple, but it is interesting nonetheless. Uh, President Biden directed the Federal Trade Commission to uh, introduce new right-to-repair rules. Um, And in related news, Steve Wozniak is in favour of such uh, right-to-repair stuff. The Federal Trade Commission then voted unanimously in favour of right-to-repair, which is kind of interesting because what they actually voted to do was to implement the regulations that were already on the books. It's like, why don't we start doing what we're already supposed to be doing? And that was reported as a giant big change. It's like, well, okay, I guess it's a change in practice, but, you know, that should, you know, why have stuff you don't do? Anyway, um, in the United Kingdom, meanwhile, um, the UK lawmakers have been busy. The first uh, area to get some serious scrutiny was the whole streaming concept and there was a lot of criticism of particularly YouTube, actually, who they, the lawmakers pointed out a lot of the content they host isn't even paid for because it's piracy. So they're making profit off of unlicensed music. Meanwhile, places like Spotify and so forth don't pay the artists very much at all. And so they really want uh, major changes on how revenue gets shared with artists in this modern streaming world. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops. Uh, Meanwhile, Mm. the UK government also announced plans to regulate big tech by defining certain companies as having an abnormally important role and making those companies then fit to tighter rules. Meanwhile, the Australians have been asking Apple about their use of NFC. And on the one hand, you can kind of see why people would have queries about Apple with regards to access to NFC. Unfortunately, when you dig into the detail of the questions the Australian parliamentarians were asking of Apple, they either 
are clueless about technology and or clueless about Apple and or idiots. Uh, because some of the <laughs> questions were just on their face ridiculous. But I kind of understand the concept. I just, their implementation of the concept is not so good. They should ask the Dutch how you ask questions in a sensible way about this very topic, because the Dutch have been following this for a while now. Any thoughts from anyone on, on all of that? To me, it just seemed like more of the same. I was going to say, just the usual, really. Just the usual. Um, Not as dramatic as last month when we had uh, the, the five bills from the Democratic lawmakers. That was, uh, I think that was bigger news than this month. Yeah, I think so. Um, Meanwhile, in a surprise think, to me, <laughs> Apple have been paying attention to criticisms that have arrived during the beta process. They are having a rethink of their Safari redesign. Um, it is being actively tweaked between the various betas that are being released, and I would say reception is still mixed. But they are definitely attempting to address people's strongest criticisms, and from a purely personal point of view, my biggest criticism is that the most important button to me is the share button, because I read stuff in my RS, you know, I read stuff on the web, and then I hit share to put it into pocket, which is how it gets into the massive show notes for this show. So I'm hitting that share button over and over and over again, and it was hidden, and now it isn't. So I, personally, I'm happy now, but I, I think many people have much more criticisms than that. At least they yeah, seem to I mean, be giving people the opportunity to choose different things now. Yes, so actually. In, um, in, in some of the latest changes, they've actually sort of said, yeah, okay, this is now a switch. You can switch it on and off. You can either have it this way or you can have it this way. It's a little bit like going for an eye test. Is this one better or is this <laughs> one better? <laughs> well, it's, I think the biggest one there you're, you're alluding to is iPadOS. One of the most controversial things was collapsing the tab bar into the address bar as one sort of yeah. Uber bar. And there is now a plain old toggle in the settings for Safari on the iPad where you can either have a you know a separate tab bar or a combined. And I think a lot of people are probably going to separate those two back out. Yeah. Has anyone been using well, I mean, these betas? Yes. Well, um, I'm on the I'm using the beta on my phone, and on the Mac I'm running the Safari Technology Preview, which is basically the same as the monterey beta um and i have to say the um the mac version is now much more like it was the tabs are a bit weird because they're kind of more like floating buttons than actual tabs and that's not only apple someone seems to have told the entire industry that that was a thing to do because firefox went that way too and it's it is a tiny bit weird because it was one of the few real world analogies still left in our ui was that it was like tabs in a filing cabinet, but that, that is now not yeah, a thing. No longer a thing. Um, I mean, they brought back the ability to have the name of the uh, tab in the tab. So you can now have it the old way, which was or like the, the old new way, which was those little tiny sort of favicon only tabs. Or you can have them with the names on, like previously um and you can turn off the color in the menu bar and you can have a separate tab bar the biggest problem with the compressed tab bar from my point of view was that they decided to put the address slash search bar 
on individual tabs. So every time you switch tab, the damn field moved around, which was horrible. And I've only got a 13-inch, you know, MacBook Air. If you had a great big monitor like what Nick's got, you know, a super wide monitor, and a lot of tabs open, the bar's going to jump left, right, and center. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it takes half an hour to find it. <laughs> yeah, that was that was horrible. Um, it's get eventually. I think they'll probably end up going, but <laughs> they'll be practically back to where they started. To be honest, yeah, um, I wish someone had copied Tree Style Tabs, which is a wonderful Firefox plugin, which puts the tabs in the most sensible place of all, down the left hand side, where there's lots of room. Hmm. And it also lets yeah, you to people. nest them I've into collapsible groups. Mm. Um, Opera started doing that some time ago, I think. I don't know if they still do it because I don't use Opera very much, but they had a thing where you could have, um, you know, the tabs in a sidebar rather than across the top. Yeah, It works extremely well for people like me who have too many tabs. And when you When you open a new tab from within a tab, it gets nested. So indented, basically, in the side view. So it's really easy to see related stuff and you can collapse them and so forth. It's it's a fantastic design. It's been a third-party plugin for years. And I really wish someone in, you know, Cupertino would start their photocopiers. But uh, alas, not yeah, I, yet. I, I hate to say it, but it almost sounds, you know, similar to the old File Explorer in Windows. Um, yes, but just with nicer iconography. Yes, I'm sure it's nicer, but... It's that it's the same kind of um It is and you can continue to read the titles of the pages in a meaningful way because that sidebar can stay a, a sane width no matter how many tabs you have open, what develops is a vertical scroll bar, which is perfectly reasonable. Indeed. You know, there's a there's a lot to be said for that. There really is. Um Although maybe what Apple is hoping to do is to drive us all away from having too many tabs, but dear Apple, <laughs> not happening. That doesn't. That's not how it works. It's not how it works in the real life. The other. The other thing is, I obviously on the the iPhone is the version that at the moment has changed the least. I mean, on the first version, it had this weird thing where the the address bar was at the top, hmm. but there was a floating bubble at the bottom which kept jumping up and down, which was ghastly. And then on the second version, they had the bar at the bottom. Um, and then this time the bar is at the bottom and it, it kind of goes into a very narrow bottom bar, which is, would work if it was just like that. But then every time you move the or go too near the bottom, the damn thing pops up as a floating bubble again and obscures the bottom of the page you're trying to read. So that's I, still no I hope the floaty bit remains in some way. I hope they get that to work because being able to swipe across that to move between tabs would be fantastic because the tab experience on the iPhone is very poor at the moment. Well, you, uh, you do know that um, previous you could swipe between tabs simply by swiping across the screen in the way, like pages. No, I didn't, which is how discoverable yeah. that was without the bar. <laughs> yeah, you could swipe between the, the tabs by swiping the screen as if you were changing um, pages. Like, But anyway, that's by the by. It, 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 I can see what they're trying to do. I mean, I my feedback was, yeah, why not just have a, a fixed address bar like you used to have, but at the bottom? Because that's like there's nothing wrong with that. That's but, not a bad way to end up, actually, if they just end up with it at the bottom, because that's sort of where my thumb wants to be. So I'd settle for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, 
I can understand why they want to move it away from the top of the screen on the phone. Mm. Because it's like on the phone, the address bar has always been at the top. Why is the address bar at the top on the phone? Because it's always been the top of every other browser for the desktop or whatever. But on the desktop, it makes sense because you expect your controls to be up there. But it doesn't really make so much sense on the on the iPhone. So I just thought, why not just take the whole, you know, the bar, move it to the bottom, and then it can pop up and you, you know, it can rise up when the keyboard comes out and goes down again when the keyboard goes away. And just, but there you go. That's me. I'm not a UI UX designer. No, I mean, you're talking sense to me. The, the, the problem yeah, is with the, the tall, thin iPhones, your thumb doesn't reach the top, whereas your thumb is perfect. Exactly. That makes, you know, that that's what makes it. So I can see why they want it at the bottom. It's just at the minute their implementation is Well, it's not, it's not released yet. So if this is halfway between where they start and no, where they finish, there's, there's still hope. There's still hope. That's, that's what I keep saying. There's still hope. Yeah, I mean, on the desktop, I could... I could live with it at the moment. I could live with it. I still think it's probably not quite as good as it could be, but I could live with it at the moment. It would be nice if the tabs were more differentiated. So the one that's front and, you know, the one that's active is more distinctly highlighted because the difference between the not active and active ones is a very feeble change of tint of grey. Chuck, you were trying to jump in there, I think. Yeah, I mean, we've been through these, you know, these these redesigns before. Some a little more radical than others, and you know, you end up you end up using something. It's like, oh, this is not too bad, and then you just use it because it's there. And then they do another one, and you think, wow, but I really like the last one, and I like the one before. You know, I, but th- this last thing was just a bit radical. I mean, there's I don't think there's any disp- dispute over that one, but I I don't think in, in these cases I don't think there's a right answer. I mean, because everybody uses their machines a little bit differently. I love the fact that they seem to be adopting the philosophy that, yeah, okay, you can turn this on, you can turn this off, you know. But 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 try, at least try it. I mean, I don't even mind if they have it defaulted to on to force me to try it, as long as they give me an option to move back to something a little closer to what I what I had. Yeah, I agree but, with that. I'm, and- I'm, but but how many? Unfortunately, the the, the 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 bear trap there is how many levels down or how many levels back? More accurately, do you allow people to turn on and off? Yeah. Well, that's your danger, right? Because what you don't want to do is end up in the Linux world where everything's the setting and all of the actual design decisions, instead of them being taken by professional designers, are handed over to the user. It's like, yeah, your problem. You design this interface. Yeah. We just give you all the switches, <laughs> and that's then touted as a feature, which I really don't think it is. Yeah, so that's somewhere between where we were with Apple, which is we design it and then you use it and you put up with the quirks of the way we design it. Uh, but at least we've moved on from there. They're now listening to people and it's just a good thing. I think another point that, that uh, John Gruber raised is we are the, the people in the beta program are tend to be the power users who have 20 kabillion tabs open. So the actual experience of your typical user may be quite different to our experiences. Yeah, that's true. So it may be much more beloved than we think. Anyway, we, there is still time, so we shall see what we get when the final version ships, probably in a month and a bit or so. Uh, hey Bart, it, I, can't let that, I, I can't let that go because okay. I, I just want to, I want to say one thing, that I have two friends in mind that, are, that I... There's no way you would define them as power users in any way, shape, or form. 
and yet they never close tabs. They open things in tabs. They have them. So it will not be un- uncommon to go to their, their screen and see f- literally 30 or 40 tabs open in a browser. So do they eventually get closed when the browser crashes or how, how do they ever go? Away? Yeah, exactly. E- exactly. And then they they say talk about how inconvenient it is to have to reopen everything. But yeah, that's, that's exactly it. So I, I think there's a lot of validity to what was just said, but I also think there's this faction out there that, you know, use br- browsers and things in ways that we as experienced users would cringe at. That is also fair. Yeah, do you, do you know I actually actually use different things in different ways? So on on the Mac, on, on my Mac at the moment, I have no tabs open. I just have the one screen uh, in Safari. However, if you look at Safari on my iPad, <laughs> it's got hundreds of tabs open. So it's, uh, I use things in different ways on different machines. So I don't tend to browse very much, I must admit, on my Mac. Interesting. Okay, I'm going to move us on. Um, Some months ago, Apple said they were going to spend a billion with a B dollars on affordable housing. They now say they have succeeded in spending all of that money, which is obviously nice to see them follow through because a lot of these kind of things from corporations tend to be shiny announcements followed by little else. So at least in this case, Apple actually did spend the money. But rather embarrassingly, we had reports the same week that a large homeless encampment had shown up on some wasteland owned by Apple. Although, according to the homeless people living on the encampment, Apple are not causing them any bother, uh, whereas the place that they were had been driven off last was causing them a lot of bother. So they seem happy enough with Apple as a quote-unquote landlord. And Apple say that they are in negotiation with the local authorities to find an amicable solution. So hopefully it ends happily. Mm. Meanwhile, the last sort of ongoing story that I, I'm sort of tracking it for my own because I think it's important is Apple in India. Uh, So the Indian government had sent Apple a nasty gram about iMessage compliance with their local laws. They have now retracted that letter and said, actually, no, yeah, iMessage is grand. Um, Indian Apple Music fans can now enjoy lossless and spatial audio. And uh, the Indian App Store now supports UPI, rupee cards and net banking payments. So basically more ways to give Apple your money if you live in India. So, again, there's nothing earth shattering here, but. Apple continue to focus attention on getting more people in India to become Apple customers and it is a large pool of potential customers so I think it certainly is Uh, let's take a quick visit to legal latest land Uh, Apple v Epic is rumbling on but nothing spectacular happened this month so just sort of touching base on this Uh, a judge has ruled that Epic's case against Apple can proceed in Australia this is despite the fact that earlier the two companies had agreed to do everything in America, but Epic backed out of that. Uh, Apple complained, and the Australian judge has decided that the Australian case may proceed. Uh, meanwhile, Apple is calling on the judge in the US case uh, to take into account the latest FTC versus Facebook ruling when deciding the ruling in the Epic v. Apple case, because Apple say there is a connection. So we shall see how that works out for them. Uh, and then in a Related story that's not directly part of the court case, the Coalition for App Fairness is fighting three subpoenas from Apple demanding access to internal documents. Apple say they're relevant to the ongoing litigation. The Coalition for App Fairness vehemently disagree, um, and they don't think Apple should know who is paying the bills for the Coalition for App Fairness in case Apple retaliates. I can understand why you would think that, and Apple wants to know who it is that's fighting them, and I can understand that too. Uh, Meanwhile, in other news, 
other companies continue to succeed in playing games on iOS, the latest to join the club is Facebook, whose subscription gaming service now works on iPhones and iPads through Safari. Uh, Then, continuing in the US for a little bit longer, uh, a Delaware judge has granted Apple's motion to dismiss a case alleging that sign-in with Apple harms competition. The case was brought by one of the founding members of the Coalition for App Fairness. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) and I also have a previous history of filing dubious cases. Speaking of dubious cases, another US court has ruled that the Mimodri trademark owner created an app specifically to be able to sue Apple and threw that case out as well. Uh, Meanwhile, in the UK, Apple are apparently extremely cranky about some patent stuff, which could result in them having to pay billions of dollars for 5G, uh, which Apple call commercially unacceptable. And they are threatening that if they are forced to pay billions of dollars just to use 5G in the UK, they will simply sod off. So we shall see how that develops. I imagine there's an awful lot of smoke and mirrors there. A lot of hot air for now. Not very much happening. A bit of cyber rattling. Yeah, I think so. HR and acquisition news then quickly. Uh, Kevin Lynch, Mr. Apple Watch, is uh, apparently shifting his focus to the mythical Apple car. We shall we shall see someday, one hopes. Uh, Stella Lowe, uh, Apple's new VP for communication, has joined the official Apple leadership website. So it's nice to see uh, another more diverse face joining the rank of old white men. Uh, and uh, Netflix have poached the head of content at Apple Podcasts to come over to run their podcasting stuff. So that is an interesting uh, yoink. Yeah. Meanwhile, or in related news, I guess, uh, a few highlights from the Apple services and original content area. I have been so bad in recent years of paying attention to Apple Arcade that I'm going out of my way to keep an eye on what's going on there. So this month we have Doodle God Universe has come to Apple Arcade. Angry Birds Reloaded has come to the apps to, to uh, Apple Arcade as well, which is kind of cool. As has a game called Jetpack Joyride, which is apparently fantastic. Um, oh yes, I I I know that. Um, I've had that for years, and it's a, a no, it's kind of tap. It's a tap only endless runner, effectively, but um, it's good fun, and it's it was um, it contained in-app purchases, but it was not the sort of game that anybody would any sense would ever buy anything in because it just you well, that, that's just one of those five now. minute games in no, but. Uh, it's it's a fun game and it's the sort of game that you can dip into because you you crash and die all the time as you do in endless runners. So you know it's a good fun game. Um, I like for the say, first so time ever. I now have Angry Birds on my phone because I was never a Facebook person, so I never wanted anything to do with any of these Facebook games. But now that it's a, at a now that it's safely in Apple Arcade, I did actually download it. I haven't got to play it yet because life. But I do actually, for the first time in my life, have Angry Birds on my phone. So that's an interesting side effect of, of Apple One, frankly, because I wouldn't have bought Apple Arcade on its own. But now that I have Apple One, it's like, oh, OK, I'll take some games. <laughs> um, Apple Music have, deb- uh, have debuted a new This Week in Apple Music collection, so you can keep up on the new hip and happening stuff. It's actually kind of interesting because I used to get that from the radio and... I don't really do that anymore, so I guess I do need something. Otherwise, my taste in music stays stuck in the past, which it kind of is. Um, and uh, Android people are getting their spatial audio and their lossless audio on the Apple Music app for Android. 
Meanwhile, in Apple TV land, and these really, really are just the headlines because it is impossible to do a detailed deep dive into all Apple TV news. It is just, there's just way too much going on. So uh, Apple TV and the BBC are getting together to do a documentary on 9-11 inside the President's War Room, which sounds genuinely interesting with some really big names being interviewed. Uh, Ted Lasso season two came out and apparently broke all of Apple's uh, records for the first weekend. And that doesn't surprise me. And uh, Sony are offering six months of free Apple TV plus with their PS5, assuming you can get one which, as I more point out, is just in time for Ted Lasso. Uh, also, nominations and awards just keep on rolling in. So Ted Lasso scoops eight Hollywood Critics Association nominations. Ted Lasso picks up Emmy nominations for Ascending Comedy Lead Actor. Uh, Ted Lasso actually passed Glee for the most freshman Emmy nominations in history. Uh, Apple ads then have managed to get nominated for three outstanding commercial Emmys. Um, and then finally, Apple TV Plus wins four daytime Emmys for Stillwater. Here we are, Nose for Living on Planet Earth and Helpsters. So lots, hmm. lots of fun stuff in Apple services and original content. So with all that out of the way, let us finally get stuck into our main stories. We have four of them this month. Uh, The first story will be Apple's Q3 earnings call. Then we will go and um, have a look at a wee flying horse of a disaster called Pegasus from the NSO Group. Uh, uh, Then we will move on to a somewhat well interesting new product from Apple, the new MagSafe battery pack. And we'll finish with a quick look at... uh, What certainly caught my attention is an interesting potential new future for Windows on the Mac. Only it mightn't be just on the Mac, it'll be on the iPad too. Anyway, we'll come to that later. So, main story number one. It was earnings time. Apple did their Q3 because they started their calendar funny. Um, Before the earnings were even announced, uh, we had Apple stock closing at a new record high. And as a result of that, Apple became the first U.S. public company with a market cap of 2.5 trillion with a T dollars, which is a lot of money. In terms of the earnings themselves, basically killer quarter, um, 81.4 billion in revenue, which is a record, blowing past Wall Street's expectations. iPhone sales 50% growth. So that gives them a, re- a revenue for just the iPhone of 39.6 billion. Services bi- business also hits a new revenue record of 17.5 billion. Max sales had a new June quarter record of 8.2 billion. Uh, 75% of Apple Watch buyers are new to the product, according to Apple, uh, but they do warn that supply strain constraints could impact iPhone and iPad production in the next quarter. And after all of that was said and done, Apple jumped to 6th from 12th on Fortune's list of the world's top 500 companies by revenue. Whew. So, anyone have anything? Anyone? think the earnings does anything in particular jump out at anyone from the earnings call yeah i thought that the um 75 percent of all you know new apple watch sales are going to new users that was um pretty spectacular and um the other one i think they mentioned somewhere that they that 50 percent of ipad sales were to new users which was um 
which for years has been yeah. what they've been saying with the Mac, right? That was always the line. Uh, yeah, I think it's. Uh, mm. I think it was. I. I think it was iPad and Mac. Fifty. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, I think so. Okay. So basically, they're saying we, we you know, we're still capturing users by the fistful. Um, yeah. Which, which I mean, is good. Which they must Actually. be because how else do you keep growing revenue? Indeed. So, so do we think this quarter? I mean, I know we haven't got um, um, our expert on on this no, occasion. No, no. Uh, but actually, Linda was good yeah. enough to send me an email. Basically, you know, record quarter of shares went down, but that was nothing to do with the results. That was everything to do with Delta variant. And uh, right. Linda put it: the market doesn't like uncertainty, and the Delta variant is very uncertain. Yeah, there's an understatement. Yeah, I was just, I was just wondering. Yeah, I was just wondering whether you know this is really a knock-on from lockdowns generally. Uh, people have been working from home. People have bought pieces of kit because they've perhaps got a little bit more disposable income because they're not going on holiday, all that kind of thing. Well, really. I was actually asked during the earnings call, uh, Katie Huberty asked that question, you know, did you do well because of or despite the pandemic? It was basically the gist of her question. And oh, right. The Tim Cook sort of hedged them was basically, well, it swings in roundabouts, right? You know, on the one hand, you have people who need devices to work from home. And on the other hand, our engineers are stuck at home and we finding it very hard to do our work. So, you know, so, you know, basically his, his answer boiled down to it's give and take. Uh, and how can we possibly tell how well or how badly we would have done had there not been a pandemic? <laughs> That's true. That's true. You know, like the one thing that got me. Sorry, sorry, Chuck. Oh, sorry. No, no go ahead, Bart. Sorry. I was just going to say, personally, I, I think it probably is because of the pandemic to at least some extent, but I don't think that's anything to be ashamed of because it's not as if Apple caused no, no. the pandemic. No. So there's no conflict of interest <laughs> here. It's like we're all so, we're all struggling to do our work in difficult circumstances. If Apple can make that a bit easier and make a bit of money in the process, no complaints from me. No, I, yeah, I agree. So yeah, and 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 I, you know, I mean, I think it's kind of a stupid question because at this point, what hasn't been affected by the pandemic? And mm. so, you know, yeah, but mm. I think that I think the, the the point that seems to be overlooked is that people are choosing Apple devices, not exclusively, of course, but you know, there's there's a big demand for Apple devices because they're. There are, I mean, we've been through this a million times. You know, there are cheaper devices over on the other side. There are Google Chromebooks, which you may or may not love, depending on your bent. But at the end of the day, people are choosing these devices. And Apple suddenly, on one hand, they made an incredibly affordable laptop in the in the uh, in the new M1 MacBooks, and yet they also made an incredibly expensive iPad Pro, yeah. and both are still selling. Actually, you yes. just raised a really interesting point there, Chuck, right? Because effectively what the pandemic has done is has massively increased BYOD. Only we're not actually bringing your own device because we're not going anywhere, but we're bringing our own device to the party. And when you let users pick their own devices instead of having corporate IT assign them one, Apple seemed to do better. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what uh, Simon and I were discussing this on uh... Sunday. And um, I think we said something very similar, really, that often if you give people a choice, unless they work in IT, because IT people tend to be <laughs> a law know. unto I themselves. I really don't know about that, because um, <laughs> it's been a I grant you it's been a while, but I have gone to many tech conferences. And in fact, I gave a, a keynote presentation at one uh, a couple of years ago. 
and that was in the days when Apple laptops had shiny logos. And it was, I was nervous as all heck. But when you walk out on the stage, the lights in your face and you look into the auditorium and literally the only thing you can see from the auditorium are glowing white apples. <laughs> oh, a lot of glowing white apples staring back. I mean, it's uh, but I think, uh, I think probably, if, yeah, I think probably if you go to the average guy, then they'll probably say, oh, well, I use a PC at work, but we've got a Mac at home. <laughs> True. So, yeah. yeah, interesting. And there is certainly a very heavy demand even in the corporate world for iPhones. They're extremely yeah. popular devices. Yeah, that is very true. Um, I think that's to some extent because they're seen as more secure. They're more popular probably on average, particularly in the US. And there's a, you know, there's a lot of support for, um, you know, your multi-device configuration tools for the ios devices yeah so that MDM makes it is mdm support is actually very good on ios which is interesting because we don't think of apple as a corporate company but their mdm is, is, support is actually really strong on ios which i also you know, think i, I also sorry. think that yeah. um android phones and this is just anecdotally from people i know who are not techie mm-hmm. Android phones are actually a little bit harder to use than iPhones. Is that I agree because they're less I think consistent. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I, the pe- people I know a lot of people who are, who own Android phones who just sort of don't really understand what they don't know where the apps are. They don't know how to get to them. Do you know what I mean? If it's not on the screen in front of them, they're not quite sure what to do. And and where and the iPhone does tend to put things up front and center. It, it, uh, it's I think people respond geeks, to that. For geeks is how I describe it. It's the same mentality that gives you the infinitely configurable Linux desktop, where you you know you get yeah. handed twenty kabillion switches, and Android is that on phones. It is spectacularly configurable, which means it's spectacularly configurable. So th- yeah, that that is a burden to place on people. Whereas you just hand an iPhone. I mean, famously, you can hand an iPhone to a three year old, and they'll figure out how to make it go. But more of themselves simply because they're cheaper. Oh, I mean, and you <laughs> can't because, discount that, not right? Not necessarily because they're easier to use. <laughs> and depending on oh, where but, you are, that is or isn't true, right? Because in the US, Apple have yeah. a majority market share, whereas in Europe, they don't. And to some extent, I think that's down to bundling laws as much as anything else, because Belgium has a particularly low iOS penetration, but in Belgium, it is illegal to bundle a phone with a phone contract. So everyone in Belgium oh, okay. must buy their phone outright. That makes a difference, doesn't it? That makes a big difference. Because you can say to people, yes, but that iPhone will last you five or six years. But they're going, yeah, but right now, this minute, I do not have 800 quid to spare. So it doesn't matter that it will last me for five or six years. Right now, I only have 200, 300 or whatever. Therefore, my only choices are a second-hand iPhone or... And a lot of people won't buy a second-hand phone because I would always say, well, what about a refurb? In fact, refurb is a fantastic way to get value out of Apple. Yeah. Oh, very much so. The amount very, of very refurbs from Apple that have that have sat on my desks or in my pockets over the years is quite large. Quite large. Am I the only one? And, and this always, when I bring this up, it feels anecdotal. But I, my perception is that people do more with their iPhones. And when I say more, mm-hmm. I mean not only spend more time on it, but 
they do more varied things. Um, and, and, and okay, look, I'm not in the age group, you know, that, <laughs> that d- does TikTok, but, you know, I think that sometimes that's where a lot of those of the Android devices are going to those kind of activities as opposed to a broader set of activities. Does anybody agree with that or, or disagree with that? Purely anecdotal, Chuck, but my experience within my own family is the same. I am perpetually surprised by the things, now that mum has a modern iPhone instead of a very old iPhone, I am perpetually surprised by the things that pop into my my inbox from mum. She is using far more of that phone than she ever used of phones before, and she's doing more creative and fun things than she ever did before. And it's not because, you know, I'm going around telling her to do stuff. She's The phone is just not intimidating in the way that... that, that she finds desktop computers intimidating. And you're right, she does more, mm. which is fantastic. Yeah, I, yeah, and I don't know how to quantify that, but I think that's a point that gets missed so often because we all get hung up on those on those dollar or pound numbers as to this is what the phone costs as opposed to the value that I'm getting out of that extra money that I spent. And that's something that is ex- incredibly difficult to quantify but equally so, I think that it's incredibly important. Yeah, there yeah, is a difference point, between Chuck. something being costly and something being expensive. Yeah, it's yes. usability, isn't it? If 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 you make something that is, um, it might not be easy to use, but if you make it easier to use than your competition, hmm. then that's going to attract people. <laughs> Uh, there's also a push factor where you have people like me pushing family members towards iOS for the simple reason yes. that I know I can keep them secure. Because all I say is if the little red one comes up on that little cog icon, let it do its thing. No red one? Great. Okay, you're all good. Whereas with an <laughs> yeah. Android phone, I would be basically having to go and find the support matrix for that specific model, realize that it hasn't had an update in the last six months, it will never have an update again, and then try to have the very difficult conversation that this apparently functional phone is in fact unsafe to use, despite the fact that it looks like it's functioning fine because it's exposing you and everything you do to a world of malware. Hmm. That's a really tough conversation. I, I, I have... Our family falls neatly into two camps, the iOS users and the Samsung users, not Android users, Samsung users. Oh, right. They're very, very yeah. specific in how that divides. And the amount of times I've had the conversation with my middle brother, it's like, yes, I know it looks like it's working, but that five-year-old Galaxy is utterly and completely insecure and you have to replace it. Yeah, but I know the screen's a bit scratched, but it's grand. It's like, it's not about the screen. <laughs> the problem is deeper, much deeper. But anyway, um, that is a, a battle we, I'm sure many of us have. Unfortunately. Now, I think I'm going to use that as a segue into story number two, which is the Pegasus malware from our friends at the NSO group. Um. Okay, I'm going to try summarize this as best as I can, and uh, let's see how this goes. So the NSO Group, are an Israeli grey hat security company, is the most generous I'm prepared to be. They are ex-Israeli spies who set up a private for-profit company making what would be called malware were it made by someone else and selling it to what they define 
as reputable government and law enforcement agencies for the purpose of hacking into people's iPhones. The They've been around since 2012. Uh, their Pegasus malware is... If anyone's familiar with the British TV show Only Fools and Horses, Pegasus is basically Trigger's broom. Only instead of having a handle and a head, which have each been replaced 50 times, but are somehow still considered the same broom by Trigger, uh, Pegasus is a machine of three parts. It has a breaking in part, a slurping up data part, and a sending data back to home base part. And each of those three parts is perpetually and continually changing, but the brand name Pegasus has remained the same at all times. So as new security vulnerabilities are discovered, the NSO group will change particularly part one of that step, which is the hacking in step. So in 2017, I believe it was, they were getting in by hacking a zero-day vulnerability in WhatsApp, Uh, For a long time then, they were using vulnerabilities that required users to click on a malicious link. And in the most recent incarnation, one of the things that has made the most headlines is that they were using a zero-day vulnerability that was allowing a zero-click exploit, which means that the iPhone would get sent a malicious SMS message, which would trip some sort of bug that they know about, but Apple haven't yet discovered and patched and would allow them to silently take over the phone without uh, the user seeing anything. Now, that's a real cat-and-mouse game. So at any point in time, exactly how easy it is for Pegasus to get into a phone is a continually changing target. So sometimes uh, when the NSO group have the upper hand because they know about some zero days Apple don't, then the NSO group have an easier time getting in. And then as Apple discover and patch stuff, then there may be a dearth for a while and then they're relying on people not being good about patching their software. But it ebbs and it flows and the amount of data they can hoover up depends on the amount of other vulnerabilities they have access to and how they sneak the data out will depend on how the various firewall vendors and so forth in the world are dealing with things. So it, it's, a const- it's a constant, constant cat and mouse game. And that sounds have, like a summary of that sounds like a summary of all spyware. <laughs> to some, I mean, really, the difference between this and other spyware is very, very marginal because technologically there's no difference. The only difference is that the NSO group are officially they're not a crime, they're not a criminal enterprise. They're a registered corporation in Israel. Uh, Israel yeah. treats this kind of software as a weapon, so they're officially actually an arms exporter. And they have export licenses for their arms. And Israel theoretically regulates who buys those arms. And they're supposed to have an end user certificate, as it's called, which is supposedly proof that you're not a malicious person. But if you spend even a small amount of time reading uh, the Wikipedia article about the NSO group, you'll realize that they have been courting controversy for an extremely long time because it turns out that their very first ever company... The very first customer we know about was the country Mexico, and they immediately use it to spy on journalists. Like that, so from day one, that's what they, this has been abused. And the NSO mm. group simultaneously say that we have no idea what people do with their software once they license it from us, and that they investigate all reports of abuse and take according action. <laughs> So they both don't know and can't know anything, and they're proactive about re- policing their platform, and they throw people out when they when they misbehave. <laughs> right. Both of those things are apparently true. What happened in this case was that uh, a leaked list of target numbers was discovered, 
Uh, and Amnesty International took the lead on creating a coalition of journalists to try to get to the bottom of those numbers to figure out which human beings are attached to those numbers. And then when they found the human beings, they took their iPhone, their, no, sorry, not just their iPhones, their phones, and they scanned them for malware to see whether or not they were actually targeted. And it turns out that on iOS, there is sufficient logging to detect past infections with Pegasus, whereas on Android, there is not. So they were not able to find many infected Androids, but they did find 37 infected iPhones. Now, this is the point where things break down a bit, and particularly the Washington Post decided to make the story, despite the hype, iPhone's not secure. And they actually quoted, well, there were only 15 Androids found, and there were 37 iPhones found. And then in the next paragraph, they say, oh, yeah, but it's actually pretty much impossible to tell whether the Androids have been hacked, so that number means nothing. So then why did you put it in the paragraph above? And why did you make it out? Why did you make the whole headline of your piece about how insecure iOS is when actually you don't know? So that made me extremely cranky. Um, (laughs) And other than that, there's actually... To my mind, there was no news here, apart from the fact that now everyone else in the world is paying attention to what I've been paying attention to for years. These grey hat companies, their stuff is abused, period. Has been since day one, will continue to be forevermore. And it will always be a cat and mouse game. And then just one final, final insult to injury. The journalists knew about the zero day for quite some months, didn't tell Apple. So what they actually did was put all of these people at needless risk just to preserve a flashy headline. Yeah. Now, that's not what I expect from Amnesty International. No, that's bad. Okay, so I think I have summarised the facts. Does anyone disagree with my summary, first of all? Mm, No. no. Not really. Okay. I must admit, I, I, I must admit, I... I have, this has sort of passed me by pretty much. I mean, I know it's been big news and I have heard of it. But um, so your summary was very helpful. Thank you. <laughs> Glad to help. <laughs> uh, obviously, my thoughts are basically none of this is news to me. Unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about this. This is a fact of life. Does anyone have a strong view? Particularly no, I, I mean, I particularly want to hear not, anyone who disagrees with me. No, I don't think so. I mean, Nick and I have talked about this, and you know, when we talk about security in general, you know, we always come that back down to the sort of, on the whole, two points, which is usually if somebody's got hands on your device, all bets are off anyway. In this case, it didn't require somebody to have hands on your device, which is. Um, you know, what makes it scary that it was a zero click, zero day. Um, yeah, and they're like... And it's a constant, you know, it's a, yes, they are. And it's a constant cat and mouse. It, it, it always is. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about, um, was it the grey cat or, or grey key, key or whatever it is. <laughs> I've got cats in your head now. Yeah, the, the grey key is the other <laughs> obvious uh, grey hat company in the no. And And various I other... I think I'm going to set up a grey cat company. I like the sound of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and we've we've got, um, you know, a guy in our Slack group, um, Dougie, who, you know, works uh, in Canada in um, forensic data recovery. So he works with things like the grey key and whatnot, you know, for um, 
getting into phones for the purposes of law enforcement. And actually, I have a friend who's a retired policeman who also for a while was in that. And, you know, he t- tells me, you know, that sometimes they're ahead and they can get a, a phone from a suspected drug dealer or whatever and crack it wide open and get all the info they like. And other times that, you know, the, the phones are ahead and it's much more difficult. Um, and that's that's been, well technically you know security forever and it's never going to change um i think the big thing about this was there's a huge headline you know and this huge scare and then there's people like amnesty international saying download our tool to check if your phone has been uh, compromised by pegasus spyware well unless you are you know an activist or a journalist reporting on dubious regimes or whatnot, the chances of you being targeted are infinitesimally small because as because Apple of said, economics, you know, right? So th- this is... Okay. These, I have a theory on the world, which is that you should always follow the money because human beings follow indeed. incentives. And when you follow the money, you get the incentive. So a zero-day, zero-click exploit is worth literally, I'm not exaggerating here, is literally worth millions of dollars. Every time you use an exploit... Tens of millions, quite likely. Yeah, exactly. Like, really big money, many zeros. Every time you use an exploit, there's a chance that a security researcher or vendor will notice and inform the owner of the software. At which point in time, that vulnerability becomes worth nothing. So when you have something like a zero-click, zero-day, you have to use it really judiciously. Because otherwise it will be discovered and it will become instantly worthless. And so you can't just hack everyone because then it goes away. So you, you can only ever use these kind of high-end exploits briefly and with pinpoint precision, which mm. means that telling everyone to check their phone is just a waste of bits and time. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit like saying, hey, I can, I can, I found a way of hacking everybody. I'm going to do that. Uh, oh, dear. Why is my computer filled up? Because <laughs> 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 yeah, basically it would return so much data um, that you wouldn't know what to do with it. Yeah, same sort of thing, Bart. Yeah. And uh, although Apple have not officially stated that they have patched the Pegasus flaw, they have patched a flaw in iOS 14.7.1 that they say was seeing some active use. And the right. rumor mill is pretty strong that it is, in fact, the Pegasus flaw that has been patched. But we don't know that for sure. Well, but uh, I mean, as you say, you know, once this story broke, the whole thing is, is blown. Their cover is blown. It's yeah. the zero day, you know, once somebody finds out how it's done, immediately everybody says, ah, right, what we need to do is put a sandbox around that to prevent that from happening. Job done. And that that is no longer a viable exploit. End of. Chuck, you've been very quiet in this segment, and I'm wondering if you have any words of wisdom to share with us. I wish I did, Bart. I wish I did. I mean, I, th- I think you hit, you really touched me when you said fact of life. You know, I think, I think this is a fact of life that, you know, we're going to have state actors and we're going to have, commercial entity actors depend no matter where they fly their flag that are going to be creating this 
I'm not ready quite to say weaponized, but you know, it's it's pretty close to weaponized software. But Chuck, if it's being exported be... under arms, you know, as arms, I think you can call it weaponized. I mean, there, you know, Israel classified this as munitions. Yeah, and and listen, I mean that that's fine. You know, I I, I struggle with it. Because I guess just of the classic definition, but it probably can you can argue easily that can be more devastating than most traditional weapons. Mm-hmm. So you know that's fine. But, but at the end of the day, it's not a lot different than cruise missiles and you know M16s and anything else you want to name. There's they're going there's going to be a market for this, and therefore people are going to create it, and therefore we all need to be aware of it, know that it's out there. Be protecting ourselves, and if you are in an environment that, or a job, or an occupation that that makes you a bigger target, then you're going to have to take more steps to counteract it. And again, mm-hmm. I, you you guys can draw the analogies just like I can. You know, if if you are a celebrity, you have to employ security. If you are, you know, in in high levels of politics, you employ more security. If you're a head of a state, you apply apply even more security. I think this is I, – I don't – I hate it. I wish it wasn't this way, but I think, Bart, again, you said it. It's a fact of life. And I, I think there's a, a couple other important points I guess I sort of want to want to get across. Um, so one of them is how do we react, right? So one way we could react to these headlines is to say, oh, well, iOS isn't secure. Therefore, I should switch to Android. But that's a terrible reaction because that's not actually based <laughs> on the facts at all, right? Um, there, there's at least two things going on here. The first of which is there's a selection effect where most of the people likely to be targeted are already using iOS rather than Android. And secondly, it's very difficult to detect successful exploitation of the Android phones. So we actually don't know how many Android phones were hacked. So we do not, under any circumstances, have any evidence whatsoever that iPhones are more susceptible than Android phones. In terms of the architecture of the platform, on the other hand, iOS is architected to be more secure. So yes, it is written by human beings. Human beings will make mistakes. There are bugs in iOS. That is a fact of life. But iOS is architected in such a way that fewer of those bugs are as catastrophic as they would be if it were architected less well. So I firmly believe, and all the evidence backs me up on this, the most secure mobile operating system remains iOS. So if you take away from this story that you should switch to Android, you really, really, really miss the point. And the fact that the Wall Street Journal tried to make some clicks by hinting that that actually is a valid interpretation makes me supremely cranky. And I guess the other related point is that we love to think of security as binary, right? You are secure or you are not secure. We wish, all of us as human beings wish the world was like that. We want the world to be like that. It isn't. The padlock on the back gate of my garden isn't like that. It is not perfectly secure, and yet I have it on my garden because it is an awful lot more secure than nothing. You know, Fort Knox isn't perfectly secure if you put enough effort into it. So we've got to get out of this way of thinking that iOS is secure or iOS is not secure. No, iOS is architected, so it's probably more secure than anything else. But we do know that we're going to see more of these stories because iOS hacked is a much better headline than Android hacked. Also true. (laughs) true. Sadly. Because we expect Android to be hacked. I was going to say, you know, man bites dog versus dog bites man. They are are very different. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. 
Any other thoughts from anyone on on this? I think this is definitely the biggest story of the month. Um, but also in some ways the simplest from an Apple point of view. Okay. I'm... Yeah, I, I just... I just think we need to. I just think you, you know, it needs to be reiterated that these kind of exploits are not trying to suck up people's credit card details or their bank logins or whatever, like your typical malware. They are specifically designed by professional spies to spy on highly valuable targets. Um, And you or I and your man in the street is of no interest whatsoever. Indeed, for the reasons we just raised another did. good point there that I want that I, I want to leave us on a positive note, and I found one. Right, hey. <laughs> so that, a bit of a stretch, but bear with me. So these high value exploits are not going to be used against us until they are not high value anymore. By which I mean they have been discovered and patched. So the takeaway from that is what happens to these vulnerabilities, right? So today, let's say a week ago, before iOS fourteen point seven point one. This vulnerability was extremely high value because Apple didn't know about it and hadn't patched it and no one could protect themselves. Today, this vulnerability is much, much, much lower value because if you patch your iPhone, then you are protected, which means that the new home for this self-same bug is no longer Pegasus. The new home for that bug is normal cybercrime because normal cybercrime uses the cheap bugs and they just... Throw them at tens of thousands of iPhones because some percentage of those people don't bother their backsides patching promptly. So these vulnerabilities that would never work against someone who stays up to date will work against thousands and thousands and thousands of people who don't bother staying patched. So the takeaway here is it's really important to stay patched. And if you do, you as a normal person are in a very strong position because these bugs start life being pinpointed only at the very valuable. Then they get scattergunned to those who don't patch. It is possible to not be in either of those categories ever. I think we need your uh, your closing words in Alison's um, security bit. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, stay patched so you stay secure. Yes. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> that's the one. Right, let us draw a line under that and move on to story number three. Apple have introduced a new battery pack for the iPhones 12 and they are making use of the MagSafe technology so that is, I can no longer call it a battery case because for it to be a case, it should encase the phone. Well, this doesn't. This simply magnetically snaps onto the back of any iPhone 12 from the teeniest of tiniest of minis up to the giantest of maxiest of iPhone 12 Pro Max jobbies. It just clips on and provides a whole bunch of extra battery through the MagSafe connector. Uh, interestingly, you can charge the, ba- the, the battery pack through the phone, which means that at a hardware level at least, reverse charging is supported by the iPhones 12. And you can also actually charge the, um, the battery pack directly as well. Um, and then the other interesting point is that you can use the battery pack to charge other Qi devices because it is just using the Qi charging standard. So it looks a bit silly, but you can take your AirPods or, or whatever and stick them to the battery pack and they will charge just fine. Which, uh, I say we have photographic evidence. That's kind of a fun idea. <laughs> so there's a lot of criticism that this thing is quote unquote ugly. I 
I really want my battery pack to be a battery pack. I want it to not obscure the antennae on my phone because the last thing I want is my phone to have to ramp up power to get a signal out because there's a battery blocking its signal while I'm trying desperately not to waste any battery. So uh, I'll, I'll just be blunt. I put my money where my mouth is and I ordered one of these. It hasn't arrived yet, but there is one winging its way towards me. So I'm a happy camper. How, how do others feel about this product? Um, it is what it is, basically. It's, you know, um, not a product for me. I don't, I don't feel the need to have such a product. Um, there's been a lot of talk about the fact that it's, um, quote unquote, you know, less milliamp hours than competitors from like Anchor and Belkin or whoever. Um, but actually... Apparently, it uses a higher voltage, which therefore means, you know, when multiplied up, they kind of cancel out. Um, and the other thing you can do with it is if you plug it in, it is, in effect, a MagSafe charging puck, and that will charge at a higher rate than when it's simply attached by MagSafe. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Uh, actually, the other thing we should say when you're comparing this product to the competitors from Anchor, etc., is that because Apple make the whole widget, uh, the iPhone stays in its low power mode as if it's on battery, even when it's drawing battery power from the battery pack. Whereas if you're drawing power from most battery cases, the phone thinks it's been plugged into the mains. And so the phone suddenly opens all the sluice gates and lets everything get all the data it wants and all the CPU it wants and all the background processing it wants. So it, you know, it opens the floodgates and lets the battery drain go mad because it thinks it's on mains power. Whereas with Apple's own charging cases are now the new charging pad or the new charging, whatever you want to call these, battery pack things. The phone knows that it's only on battery. It's just a, an extra battery. So it continues to manage its power as if it was not plugged into the mains. So you will probably find that you get a real world experience that is better, even if the milliamp hours don't look better. I want to make sure I heard that right. Simon, are you saying that, that this can be used as a plug-in battery pack as well as a MagSafe battery pack? Uh, it, no. It, it, when it, when, if you attach it by MagSafe, <clears throat> sorry, if you attach it purely by MagSafe, I believe it charges at 5 watts. Well, um, basically, it doesn't uh, really charge the phone very much. What it sort of does is it lets the phone use that battery instead of its own battery, and it actually takes yeah. very little charge. Exactly. But if you plug... If you then plug in the battery pack it whilst it's attached to the phone, yeah, um, I don't, I'm not sure if it's lightning. No, well, it I is guess lightning. It's lightning. So you, you basically you shove a lightning cable into the bottom of the battery pack. And at that right. point, it becomes a MagSafe charging puck and will charge, I believe, at 15 watts. Yeah. Because it becomes an active charger at that point, not a battery pack. Yeah. Um, Okay. And the brains of the okay. phone will recognize this fact and it will open the sluice gates and allow the data to flow, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's those, those are the only things I know and they're all things that I know from reading about it. I don't, you know. Um, the other thing that I've heard from several uh, people on podcasts is if you want one of these and you want it to stick really well, it's actually best to use an Apple Silicon skin on your phone because it helps keep it clamped on because apparently it's got plenty. that adding well, a case would make it stick better but i'm sure there's a physics reason for it well the 
the, the people I've heard talking about it say if you put it on the back of the naked phone, obviously the magnets clamp it on, but it's easy to twist. So it's got a lot of pull resistance, but it's easier to twist it off oh, magnetically. Oh, so it's just friction. But if you have a silicon, if you have a silicon layer in there, it's it, it's less prone to twisting. So when it's in your pocket or whatever, it's less prone to being twisted free. Yes, and of course with magnets, because obviously you twist it off, you don't pull it off. Yeah, because that's how magnets work, isn't it? It's a lot easier to twist two magnets apart than it is to physically pull yeah. them away from each other. Yes. So apparently putting a silicon skin on will make it more secure in a slightly counterintuitive manner. But there you go. Yeah. That's all I have to say on it, really. So so for me, this thing is going to live... Um, basically, we have an emergency pack next to the front door. Uh, we have had for years because the, the better half of some ongoing health issues where we we sometimes just have to go to the hospital. We just, just have to go. And so there's a go bag and there has been for years, which contains one of every charger. And having a just a simple, just keep it charged up, a simple to snap on magnetic pack, it is going to be such a useful addition to the go bag. So that is the main reason I bought it. Um, and also then, assuming at some point, one starts traveling again. Um, it, it just seems like the perfect thing to keep in your laptop bag and just to be able to snap onto the phone halfway through a, a conference or an away mission, as I, as I like to call it, when they send me you know, to somewhere else for a day. Um, so it just it really appeals to me, the fact that it's not a case. I hate, hate, hate putting a case on my phone. So I've always had external battery packs, but they've always been really hard to have on the phone while you're mobile because they're dangling off it with a USB cable. Whereas now I'll just go clunk and hey presto, and I can stick it in my pocket and carry on with life. So I, this is just, it's like Apple went, what would Bart like? And then they made one. So uh, <laughs> they got one. It, make, it makes me smile, you know, that, um, that really what everyone wants is a phone that sort of just charges itself without you having to sort of do anything. <laughs> that would be nice, wouldn't it? Utopia. Yeah. That's utopia, uh, and we and we we can't, we're still trying to make little baby steps towards that utopia where things just charge, um, because because plugging things in is far too hard. I mean, don't get me wrong; I've got a iPhone eleven and I've got a um, a Qi charger to put it on because it is easier than plugging it in, but it's only fractionally easier. <laughs> Actually, the one thing, the one it's not that long ago that we had to put it's not that long ago that we had to put cases on everything; otherwise, you couldn't charge it at all. True. The the one place where I end up charging almost by accident is uh, in my new car. The the physical place yeah. where you put the phone is a Qi charger. And it is the most natural thing in the world to just put the phone in the thing that is phone shaped sitting in the central console. So the phone just yeah, gets thrown in without thinking about it. And it just makes the bloop noise and starts charging. It's bloody brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that is good. See, it's, this is, I find this kind of thing interesting. It goes back to different people's use cases. The one thing that I insist on for, for my iPhone is the ability to magnetic mount it in my car because of mm. CarPlay. Because I'm forever, you know, reaching up and, okay, I want, to, I want to use Waze. I want to use Apple Maps. I want to control the audio program through Overcast. So I desperately want and need that magnetic mount. The trouble is that with a magnetic mount, and I'm, I'm looking at one now that may be a way around this, but I'm not there yet. But that precludes Qi charging because I have to have that metal plate in the back to, to connect. 
So I'm probably right. the only guy on on this panel and on most panels that doesn't use the Qi charging, and and plus the fact that if if I if I need my phone recharged, I want a small you know lipstick size battery pack that I can plug in with a very short lightning cable, and I'm going to get the maximum amount of charge going into that phone from that battery pack that I can get, not the reduced amount that goes through the Qi. So what you so, want is like the, the, the iPhone equivalent of a Tesla supercharger. Just plug in, shove as many electrons in there as you can, as quickly as you can, plug it out and carry on. There's a good analogy, and that's exactly what I'm doing with, with that external battery pack, because that's the way, because I, I've, again, the I had to make a trade. It's either the Qi charging, which is super convenient and super nice, or the, the, uh, the magnetic mount for my CarPlay. Mm-hmm. I can't have so, both, at least I don't, not, yeah, Chuck, not easily. I do believe there are people either working on or have released um, MagSafe compatible car mounts so that you will, oh. you will have the MagSafe holding it in place and charging it at the same time. You are absolutely correct. But the problem is that then I have to have two lightning cables coming up from the uh, you know from where you plug in because one still has to go into that lightning port to connect to CarPlay. Oh, it's not a wireless CarPlay. Sorry, that, that, that's the bit my a... brain hadn't tweaked yet because CarPlay comes in two flavors, of course. Yeah, right. there's very few cars that have wireless CarPlay. Yeah, yeah, the the, the flavors, Bart, the flavor the flavors that are wireless are above my price range. Um, <laughs> well, look, yes. I, I bought a brand new car and it doesn't have bloody CarPlay because Elon Musk doesn't like Apple. So I, right. <laughs> my phone integrates with my car over Bluetooth. Now, it does it very, as Bluetooth integration goes, it's actually very good Bluetooth integration. I can use the steering wheel to make calls. I can use the steering wheel to control my podcast and stuff. But it isn't CarPlay. And I really wish Elon Musk would just give me bloody CarPlay. But Now, now I feel really guilty because I've got a car. I've got a Hyundai Ionic electric uh, have car. and that and that has CarPlay, but I never use it. <laughs> you know, I, have, I have to say the same, actually. I mean, I've got a Citroen C4, and it's got CarPlay, and I never use it. I really don't. I tend wow. to just let the phone connect by um, by Bluetooth, connect by Bluetooth, and yeah, then and play you know, something. Yeah. Set, set, set whatever it is on, you know, my podcast or my music list going, and off I go, and and that's. But well, do you know why I want CarPlay? Um, why I really want CarPlay is because Tesla's maps suck in Ireland. Like, oh they, dear, uh, bloody terrible. So I actually use Apple Maps, and thankfully with the Apple Watch, you really don't miss having it on the screen because, you know, you get the two taps for left, one tap for right. I, actually, I'm not sure which is which, but my brain knows. Um, yeah. Uh, and so you you can just... You can just make your turns without needing to look at the screen, which is such an amazing safety feature that Apple brought in. That Apple Watch uh, feature with Maps is just amazing. Um, but yeah, the, the CarPlay would be so nice. Anyway, that's how did we get from Apple release battery pack to Bart wants Elon Musk to give him CarPlay? 
<laughs> it, was, it was an interesting trip. It was an ironic. Yeah, it, it was. But um, yes, it, it was it was magnetic things we were talking about, wasn't it? That's how we got it there. It was. It was Chuck's car magnets. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. My fault. <laughs> well, I'm going to take us down to our fourth and final topic, which is is a quick and easy one. Well, it's a quick one, but I think it's actually quite interesting as a Mac user. So, on its face, this does not sound like a topic for Let's Talk Apple. Microsoft announced Windows 365. This is a cloud-hosted Windows 10 machine that you connect to using Microsoft's remote desktop app. But actually, to me, this is the future. And all of this sturm und drang about the fact that you can't run Windows 10 natively on on an M1 Mac, to me, that just evaporates in a puff of irrelevance. Because I would much, much rather have a Windows 10 machine in the cloud, one Windows 10 machine in the cloud, where I run whatever few Windows apps I need, that I simply teleport into from any device I want to whenever I want to. I don't really want to dedicate 8 gigs of my RAM to Windows while I'm running a Mac. I don't really want to have to choose where to boot. I don't really want... like Virtualization is so memory-wasteful. And so CPU wasteful. It's like, I don't want to run two operating systems. I have one computer. Whereas if I just shove it into the cloud and I buy it as software as a service, well, I can get it from anywhere. And actually, Microsoft have put an awful lot of work into their remote desktop app because with my work hat on, my Windows 10 machine is a Windows 10 VM running on our own infrastructure but it effectively gives me as an IT pro the functionality that the world can simply get with Windows 365. And it's a really yeah. nice place to be. And I get to be there on my iPad as well as on my Mac. So. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, when I was working, the company I was with, everything was going to the cloud. Uh, I mean, we were, we were moving across to, Win, uh, to Windows and Office 365. Um we were already virtualized, but on our own, um, our own hardware. Yeah. Um, and it makes so much sense because, as I say, when you look, once you're logged in, it just feels like you're you're at work. I mean, it just, it behaves exactly the same. The only time it might slow down a little bit is if you're dealing with very large amounts of data. But if you're doing general office work, you know, a spreadsheet here and there, and a, <laughs> a bit of a bit of PowerPoint maybe, and a bit of Word. Um, they're more than adequate. So, and yeah, that sounds good. The, the pandemic has really brought it home to me that this that we are ready for this because I connect to a Windows 10 VM running on our on-prem infrastructure. I am on my home internet connecting through a VPN, so that's obviously slowing things down, to this Windows VM, and it is a flawless experience. So if I can do that from home through a VPN then it absolutely will work just as well to the public internet on Microsoft's spectacularly resourced cloud infrastructure, which is going to have more oomph behind it than our on-prem stuff. You kind of hit on it, and I have to wonder, this sounds great for everybody that has decent high-speed internet, but when it, first of all, when it goes down, it's going down, absolutely. You crash and crash and burn. But second, what is the experience going to be like? And can the infrastructure keep up with that many people trying to use what are essentially networked machines? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm okay, asking well, you. Yeah, you don't need. 
like the Azure infrastructure is extremely solid, Chuck, because that is yeah. under Satya Nadella, that has become Microsoft's bread and butter. And the fact is, you don't need you don't need huge resources at, at your end because it's all happening at the other end. As as long as you've got a, a you only need a fairly basic internet connection. Yeah, because the ODP for to, protocol for this to work. The ODP protocol isn't streaming every pixel; it's only streaming changes because the ODP protocol yep. is smart enough. To, it's not like a, a terrible old VNC connection. Uh, you know, it is a it is a proper. Windows protocol that's basically aware of the logic of what it's being asked to do. So it's like a remote display as opposed to a streaming video. So it's more important in some ways that the the the, the VM is sized correctly. Um, I remember that we were working on something where um, it was to do with um, um, CAD, and they needed a lot of power. They usually used machines, quite powerful machines. And they had to have specially designed VMs, particularly for them, simply because they needed extra power. But still, at home, or wherever they were operating it from, they still didn't need much power because it was all happening at the other end. Yeah, yeah so anyway, That's as I say, I'm not, gonna stress, <laughs> I'm not going to stress about Parallels not working on an M1 Mac. That, that is history for me. Windows 365 has me happy, and I'm hoping other people are happy too. Right, uh, let us move on to a few quick stories to round out the show. Apple have released two new colours of AirTag keyring leather loop jubbies. If you want one, go snap them up. <laughs> Apple have also launched their back-to-school promotion in Europe, Asia and the Middle East. Uh, Today at Apple is coming to YouTube. The first episode is live, which I believe is the one where they teach you to draw yourself as a Peanuts character. So, fun with that. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, the Consortium on Digital Keys has finalized version 3 of their spec. Basically, digital car keys are going to become easier to use and more secure under version 3. So that is only a good thing. Uh, Tom's mm-hmm. Guide awarded their Breakthrough Award for for this year to the M1 chip, which is great to see strongly PC-oriented techies recognizing the m1 for what it is which is an amazing piece of technology that would make me smile to be honest and then finally two more countries get the joy of a unified apple gift voucher which is something that makes me so cranky that here in ireland i can give someone an apple voucher or an itunes voucher but they're separate things whereas in the us and now in canada and australia you can buy a single unified anything from Apple voucher. And come on, Apple, worldwide, please. Now. Thank you. <laughs> well, that's that's all that's all I have in my copious show notes. Um, folks, thank you ever so much for sharing a chunk of your uh, Monday with me. Um, Chuck, I think it's your Monday afternoon. Um, my British friends, it's your Monday evening, but all the same. Thank you very, very much. Um, in reverse order chuck would you like to let the good listeners know where they can uh, hear more of your great work and see because yes. you're one of those video people yeah yeah they they're everywhere um yeah i'd love to have you come over and visit me at macvoices.com there you can hear and see everything that we do that's uh 
related to Apple and Apple technology. And um, we also do a live show. It's probably going to be a little bit late for most of your listeners, Bart. But if if you have insomnia, um, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, whatever time it is in your time zone in the uh, in the European areas, uh, we do a show live on YouTube at Mac Voices TV. And on all the social networks, you can find me and abuse me and ask me anything as at Chuck Joyner. Thanks for having me, Bart. It's always a blast. It's always a pleasure to have you on. And uh, one of the very, 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 very few times you get to see what I look like is when Chuck has me on, usually annually for his gift guide. <laughs> and I, I generally avoid video podcasts like The Plague, but Chuck is Chuck is nice enough to me that I, I oblige and I remember to shave and to put on a nice T-shirt and you get to see what I look like sometimes. We just buy him a couple of good drinks ahead of time. He's fine. Yeah. <laughs> a giant, to be honest, it's, it's a giant mug of coffee is what's necessary. But anyway. Uh, also then, a big thank you to Nick and Simon. So do you guys both want to uh, plug yourselves and your podcast? I'll do the shortest uh, one. No. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Shall then. I? Okay, so I, I, I'm Nick Riley, and you can find me on Twitter very occasionally, or as Simon says, sometimes you can't find Nick on Twitter because <laughs> I am on there so occasionally. Uh, and I'm Spligosh, S P L I G O S H, and you can find me on Essential Apple most weeks. Over to Simon. Uh, yeah, well, you can find me on Twitter as at Serenak, and that's S E R E N A K. And, of course, most weeks I'm hosting the Essential Apple podcast. Um, yeah, that's about it. And this week I actually managed to get it out before doing this show so that the fact that we mentioned the fact that we were going to be on this show is not two days out of date. There you go. Aha, excellent. And, of course, the Essential Apple podcast, like this show, is a member of the MyMac Podcasting Network. So we're slightly keeping it in the family here today, although we do have a Chuck visiting and we're very grateful. Okay, folks, that has been another month's worth of Apple news. I've been your host, Bart Bouchot. You can find detailed show notes over at lets-talk.ie. While you're over there, there's a uh, giant big blue button called support the show. A heartfelt thank you to absolutely everyone who has ever pushed one of those buttons, because as you may have noticed, this show does not contain any advertisements. This show is 100% listener supported. It exists purely and simply because you guys allow it to exist, and I am extremely grateful for that. You can support the show financially through one-off PayPal donation or through joining up to become a Patreon member. And if you... I mean, there are very, very, very many people who cannot support the show financially, and I really don't expect anyone to do that. Uh, simply spread the word, and you are helping out massively. So every time you tell a friend, every time you tweet about it, every time you do that weird Facebook thing that I don't do, it is all appreciated. It all helps. And uh, I thank each and every one of you. Anyway, I've prattled on for long enough. I've been your host, Bart Bouchots. I'm at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello, everybody. This is Simon Parnell, the host of the Essential Apple Podcast. 
the show where we aim to take a wander around the week's news in Apple, news, reviews, technology, security, and anything else that catches our eye. Plus, from time to time, we like to have guests from the industry who we get to tell us about their products, their services, their history, their philosophies, what uh, drives them, and of course, just what makes them tick. That, plus a bunch of friends talking about the news in Apple. What more could you possibly want? Check us out on the My Mac Podcasting Network 